Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. You guys are kind of demonstrative in worship today, so I, I was telling John we want to keep you uh, behind for the first part of the second service at 10.30 so you can kick, st- <laughs> so you can kick start those guys uh, when, uh, when they come in. Um, as you can tell by the end of that video back at Easter, we started a series based on hope. Uh, we've called it Seven Stories of Hope. Uh, our intent, the purpose of, of telling these stories, of course, is to uh, invest more hope in our lives, but to hopefully encourage us to share hope with other people because there are people all around us that need hope. Uh, we kind of have an epidemic, as I've been saying, uh, by some of the stats I shared with you back on Easter of uh, hopelessness in, uh, in America. So we need to be sharing hope with, uh, with other people. Uh, I guarantee you that there are people all around us that need hope. Uh, there are people this week in Nepal that need hope. There are people in Baltimore that would like to hear about hope. There are people you work with that need more hope in their lives. There are people where you shop at or where you go to school that need more hope in their lives. Some of you have some friends or some family members that need more hope in your lives, and probably you yourself need more hope in, in, in your own life. These stories that we're looking at in the New Testament are, I, I think, designed in such a way that, that makes it a good tool to start a dialogue with someone about hope. In other words, what we're asking you to do is not walk up and beat someone on the head with a Bible, but walk up and start a discussion with them. The stories of hope that we've talked about so far could be used uh, like I'm going to suggest, and then we'll get into our story of hope today. But the stories of hope we looked at thus far, our our first story of hope, uh, you could go up to someone, the story of hope there was about the the lady that comes in and lets her hair down in the Pharisee's house and and, uh, and cleans off the feet of Jesus, cries on his feet with her tears and uh, takes her hair and wipes his feet off. Uh, I guarantee you, you could probably start a conversation with somebody if you walk up and just ask them a question. Why in the world would a woman clean someone's nasty feet with her hair? You know, look at you and think, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> and that would open up a door. You'd probably get some kind of response, and that would open up a door for you to start to share something with, with her. The second story of hope we looked at involved this, uh, this tax collector. And this Pharisee who went to the same worship service, and the Pharisee stands up and starts telling God and everybody else that would listen how good he was, and in the hearing of everyone, including the tax collector, he starts thanking God about how he is not like that tax collector over there. So one way to start a dialogue with someone there would simply be to go up and say, what do you think about people that all the time look down on other people? I guarantee you get a response to that one. Because people are sick of that. They don't like people turning down their nose and judging other people and and looking at other people. And from there, you could go on and tell the rest of the story and talk about how there are only really two places that you can go. 
We saw that also in our, in our third story that we looked at last week. Last week, we were in Matthew 25, and we were noticing there how as we minister to others, we can also minister to Jesus. Jesus said, if you've done one of the least of these, you've done it to me. Easy way to start a spiritual dialogue or question to start beginning a conversation with someone. And from that story, it would just be to go up to someone and say, do you realize that, there, that it's possible that you can do something for Jesus, something that can bless Jesus to him? And then you can go on and explain how, by serving others, by ministering to others. And then also in that story, you can clearly point out there's only two groups of people, goats and sheep, and there's only two destinations. They help begin to share a spiritual dialogue with them. Today, the basis of hope that we're looking at is found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 through 28. And we've talked about hope from different aspects, but today I want us to foundationally Notice there's a specific basis for hope. People try and find hope in a lot of different avenues. They take a lot of different pathways in life trying to find hope for themselves. But the basic, the most basic way of finding hope, the basis for really true hope itself is very specific. And that's what we're going to look at today. First of all, the basis for true hope is Jesus Christ himself. Uh, we've mentioned this from time to time at, at, at day three. Almost any question we might ask you, if you say Jesus, that's probably going to be the right answer most of the time. Amen? So it's such a question as this. Why in the world is the basis for true hope? It, it's Jesus. And we're going to look at that in, in verse number uh, 21. But before we read verse 21, I want to give you some background to some other scriptures talking about hope. In Romans, uh, to begin with, he's quoting from Isaiah, and it says, again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. That's talking about, as far as I know, all of us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Now that verse says a lot about hope, doesn't it? At least three times. And in Colossians, Paul wrote these words, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In 1 Timothy, he wrote these words, Christ Jesus, our what? Hope. Jesus Christ is the basis for true hope. And here in Matthew 16, Jesus begins to Dialogue begins to talk with his disciples more specifically about his death. He had hinted at it a few times, but he had never actually came right out and said anything to them until now. This is the first instance of him specifically telling them about his death. From that time, in that phrase from that time, in the, the way that's, that's used there in the Greek kind of means there's a change taking place. And there was a change taking place from, he, he's beginning to talk with them more clearly about what he would face. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. I want you to notice why we can find the basis of true hope in that statement that Jesus made to his disciples. I want you to think about his mission to begin with. The mission that Jesus had. He said this as he talked about his mission. He, in that verse, he said he must go 
and suffer many things. The basis of hope is the death of Jesus Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. His mission is this. Jesus said he must go. And that he was going to suffer many things. In other words, it wasn't a haphazard thing that Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem. It wasn't something that was just going to all of a sudden take place. It wasn't something that was in the control of the Roman Empire or the chief priest or the scribes or the Pharisees or anyone else who thought maybe it was in their control. It was something that God himself ordained that he would become flesh, come into this world as Jesus Christ, the second part of the triune God, and that he would go to Jerusalem eventually and he would there die and suffer on a cross. That's the basis for our true hope. The mission that Jesus had was that he must go. And by the way, did you notice who he suffered at the hands of, he said? The religious leaders of that day. That's kind of tragic. But that's what the Bible says. But we need to remember, none of this was an accident. It was his mission. It's why he came. He had to go. He must go. It was foreordained. It was planned that he would go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Not only his mission, I want you to notice his sacrificial death because he was killed. His sacrifice, he was killed there. Jesus told them that's what was going to happen when he went to Jerusalem, that he would be Killed. Jesus was sacrificially down on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. John put it like this in 1 John. He is a propitiation. How many use that word this past week? Yeah, I didn't, didn't think so. And if you did, somebody thought you were probably cursing them, you know. What did they just call me? He, he's a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And the word that he uses there for propitiation is, is a Greek word, hilamos, and it means atonement. And it's talking about the atoning death of Jesus on the cross. It's talking about Jesus through his death paying everything that was demanded by a just holy God. It comes from an English word uh, that translated from an old English word, propitiate, which means to appease. In other words, the propitiation of Jesus means this. Jesus died on the cross, and by doing so, he appeased a holy and righteous God for all the sin that we owed because of our sin as mankind. Because man had fallen into sin. Jesus paid the price. He's our propitiation. What he did for us appeased holy God for our sins. And not just for ours, he said, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ is the, the basis for us to have true hope. Galatians chapter 1, verse 3 and 5 tell us this. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We ought to say amen on the end of that too, shouldn't we? Because Jesus came and Jesus died, we have a basis for hope. Not only because of uh, the death of Jesus, not only because he died on the cross for our sins, another basis for hope is his resurrection. 
The fact that he took his life back up. And on the third day, Jesus told his disciples this. Yes, he was going to go and die. But on the third day, he would be raised. Because Jesus took his life back up, that gives us hope. See, for any other human to die, it would be the end, it would seem like. For any other human king, and Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, for any human king to die, it would seem like that was the end of his reign and everything was over with. But that's not true for Jesus because that was just kind of like a beginning. He gloriously paid the sin for all mankind. And then he takes his life back up. And by doing so, that gives us all the evidence we need that Jesus did what he said he was going to do. That he paid the penalty and the price for man's sin. That he defeated sin. That he defeated hell. That he defeated the grave. And because he's alive, that gives us hope for our lives because he took his life back up. It shows he accomplished the plan of salvation. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, we looked at this a few weeks ago when we were talking about sharing your faith, but uh, we find these words, for I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Don't read over that part too fast because that for our sins part is what makes it good news. Amen? Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In other words, it had always been said that that would happen. Jesus fulfilled all the scriptures. Jesus finished forever God's plan to redeem sinners from their sins. And it's through Jesus Christ that we have hope. Peter writes these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a, what kind of hope does it say? Living hope. Aren't you glad we don't have a dead hope as Christians? Because our Savior's alive. We have a living hope that we can cling to. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that if Jesus was still in the grave, I can't have a living hope. You couldn't have a living hope because he's alive. We have the basis for true hope. Second main thing, if you're following along in the updates and filling in the blanks and, and everything, I want you to notice this as we think about the basis of true hope or true hope today. The, the hindrance of true hope is found in worldly thinking. We can actually hinder true hope by worldly thinking. I want you to notice how Peter does it. Look at these verses. Peter took him aside. Now, now who's he taking aside? Jesus. <laughs> and he began to rebuke him. Who, who is he rebuking? Saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Then he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me, for you're not set in your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Worldly thinking can be a, can be a hindrance to God impacting our lives as much as he ought to impact our lives. But in this story we have before us, Peter had heard these words of Jesus that he was going to die and suffer. Now, Peter loved Jesus. He thought, no, far be it. That, that doesn't need to happen. 
And he he pulls Jesus aside and he begins to give Jesus, as I pointed out earlier, who who Jesus is. He begins to give Jesus advice. Somehow Peter missed the be raised part or misunderstood it. Because Jesus had said that. See, at this point, I, I don't think the disciples fully understood what the Messiah meant. I think they believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, but their mindset, in the mindset of most of Jesus in that day and time, was that someone from the bloodline of David was coming and he was going to come in and, and take over the throne of David and he was going to chase off all the enemies of Israel and reestablish the kingdom. So they were kind of looking for a political leader to show up and change everything. I hope you're not still doing that. <laughs> So that's not going to change anything. When the Prince of Peace comes, when the King of Kings is on his throne, that will change it. But he begins to give Jesus advice, begins to rebuke him and say, you're more or less he's saying, no way, Jesus, this should never, ever happen to you. So Peter rebukes Jesus, and then Jesus rebukes Peter. And he turns and looks at him and gives him this Little kind-hearted rebuke. (laughs) Get behind me, Satan. Literal translation is get behind me, adversary. So why in the world would Jesus look at Peter, one of his disciples, and say, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, adversary. And and I think here's why. Uh, Unknowingly, Peter is being used by Satan to offer the same temptation that Satan made to Jesus when he was in the wilderness. Matthew says again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, talking about the devil taking Jesus during his temptation. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Now, part of the intent was Jesus followed in and worshiped me. The other part of the intent was this. In that message, he's more or less saying, Jesus, take a different pathway to success. Take a different pathway to glory. Take a different pathway to significance. Don't stay on the path you're on. Don't go to the cross. You see, that was going to be the thing that broke Satan's back. So Peter unknowingly is kind of making this same Temptation to Jesus. And, and, and he's saying, saying you know, far be it. Don't, don't face anything like this. Don't, don't you go to the cross. Seek greatness another, another way. And then Jesus also said this, you're a hindrance to me. The word for hindrance in the Greek is, is a word that we've seen several times over the, the years. It's a scandalon. And uh, it's a, the, the English word scandal comes from it. But what it literally meant is like a trap stick or a noose or a snare. That someone might say it to try and trap an animal. So what is happening here, the words of Peter are like a trap for Jesus. As was the temptation of, of Satan. It's as though... Satan is using the very words of Peter to try and trip Jesus up a little bit. I mean, think about it like this. Most of the time, someone 
Saying what Peter said would be kind of welcomed. We would consider that compassion or, or someone cared for us. If we went and told someone, well, here's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to go to this town and I'm going to be beat up and abused terribly by the religious people there. And then I'm going to be hung on a cross and die. Like I said, evidently he was not here in the raised part. <laughs> And if someone said, no, far be that from you. I mean, don't let that happen. We won't let that happen. We love you too much. Then most of us are kind of welcome that response. And like, well, that, that person thinks highly of me, you know? From Jesus' standpoint, humanly speaking, it might could have been a response like this. Well, thank you, Peter. I feel better now. I don't have to go and suffer on the cross. But you see, the, the problem with it is that his mission, as we looked at a moment ago, was to go and suffer on the cross. His mission was to die for the sins of mankind and then take his life back up. That, that's the mission that God the Father had given him. The issue is this. Why was Peter thinking like that? Why was he thinking in in such a way because Jesus said this to him you're not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man phrase in the Greek setting your mind means to exercise a mind or to entertain or have a sentiment or an opinion or uh, have a mental disposition in a certain direction so what is taking place here is this Peter was exercising his mind from a worldly human perspective he was considering what Jesus had, had said. His opinion or sentiment regarding what Jesus had said was from a merely human viewpoint. And that's understandable because normally not suffering and dying would be a good thing, right? From a human viewpoint. But as I said a moment ago, that wasn't the mission of Jesus. Jesus came to provide the basis for hope. Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. So Peter's mistake is this. He was thinking like a man because most men want to escape suffering. I mean, honestly, if we, if we announced this morning, when the service lets out, if you'll go to the back parking lot, we have someone out there with a cat of nine tails to beat you. And if you'd like to sign up for suffering, raise your hand right now. How many of you are going to go out there? The, the normal human thing is I don't want to suffer. I don't like suffering. And, and, and I want to try and escape death in some way. That, that's a normal humanistic way of thinking. But you see, Peter didn't have God's mind in the matter. That's what Jesus is saying. God's mind in the matter is this. I sent my son to die on the cross for the sins of the world. God's viewpoint of it was even to Peter. Peter, I sent my son to die for your sins because if Jesus had not gone to the cross, Peter would have been lost also. You and I would have no hope had Jesus not gone to the cross. So, so that's why the hindrance of true hope can take place with worldly Thinking by, by, the, by thinking like a man, by only viewing Jesus kindly from a human standpoint. Jesus looked at Peter and said, you're a hindrance to me. Now the dangerous thing is this. We can hinder true hope in our own lives by thinking wrongly about Jesus. 
You may be someone that's never trusted Christ as your Savior, and the hindrance to doing so might be this. You're viewing Jesus only as a man. Or you've got some human viewpoint of Jesus that's less than God's viewpoint of Jesus. You're you're failing to understand that you need the sacrifice of Jesus, that you're a lost sinner and there's no way you can be saved. You don't have any hope whatsoever without Jesus. Your your thought process can be keeping you. True hope can be hindered from, from your life because you only have a human perspective, but you can have true hope in your life if you'll view Jesus from God's perspective, if you'll set your mind on the things of God instead of the things of man. Because the mind of God concerning Jesus Christ is that he died for your sins so we can have eternal hope. It's also a sad thing that us as Christians, we, it does not affect our salvation, but it can affect the impact that we allow Jesus Christ to have on our heart and the impact that we allow Jesus Christ to have on our lives. Because a lot of times, even as Christians, it's easier for us to limit the impact of Jesus by us being too preoccupied by worldly things. By thinking like a man. And that can hinder the impact that Jesus wants to make on our lives. Then after that discussion with Peter, Christ goes on, Jesus goes on to show the importance of the cross in their lives. So the basis of true hope is Jesus Christ himself. The the hindrance of true hope is when we just view the things of God from a human standpoint. If we view hope, if we view Jesus and who he is and what he did merely from a human standpoint instead of thinking like God. I want to finish up talking to you about the demonstration of true hope. Because the demonstration of true hope is following Jesus. Jesus says something to his immediate disciples about that. And you and I as his followers still yet, we, we should demonstrate true hope in our lives by coming after him and taking up his cross. But what, what does that look like? It's a demonstrative type of faith. It's where we demonstrate the hope that we have in following Jesus. And following Jesus from what Jesus says here has two main things attached to it in in the words of Jesus in this particular text. First of all, following Jesus requires self-denial. Following Jesus requires self-denial. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me. Now, remember what Jesus had just said. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests and the scribes, the religious crowd. And I'm going to be killed. Once again, it seemed like it's over their head, this take my life back up thing. Now, Jesus looks at those disciples who have just heard Jesus say that and heard the interaction probably with Peter. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, if you want to come after me, deny yourself. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses it for my, or loses his life for my sake shall, shall find it. What, what does Jesus mean by those, those words? I mean, I, I've already told you, I think he's primarily talking about self-denial. The word for deny means to deny utterly. 
It means to disown, to abstain, to deny the root word that it comes from the Greek means offer away from something that's near to contradict, to disavow, to reject, to abnegate, to deny, to refuse. In other words, we need to look at our life and our purposes and what we want and we utterly deny it. We disown it. We, we disdain it. We, you know, we, it might be something near to us, close to our hearts, but we disavow it. We contradict it. We, we refuse it. We push it away because we have a higher calling now as Christians. Our calling is not to fulfill our own purposes. Our calling is to come after Him. Our calling is to follow Him. Disciples of Christ need to deny themselves, utterly deny themselves and their own purposes and their plans for His purposes and His plans. Now, that's not the pathway to salvation. The pathway to salvation is faith in Jesus. I'm talking about following Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus is going to require self-denial because if we're not willing to deny what we want for what He wants, we're not going to be very much of a disciple. We'll be tied up living our lives away. We want to live our lives all the time. To deny self doesn't mean to deny things. That's what some people read into this text. Oh, if I'm going to deny self, that means, well, I, I need to deny myself the, 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 the piece of cake I want today after I have lunch. I'm, I'm getting to learn to deny myself of that all the time <laughs> because of my sugar wanting to mess with me and, 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 and things. But that's not what he's talking about. You're not talking about denying yourself just some type of, of enjoyment like that. It's not, it's not denying things. I think what he really means is this. Denying ourselves means that we give ourselves wholly to Christ and we identify ourselves in his shame, in his death, in his crucifixion, in his resurrection. That's what it means to deny ourselves. We're turning loose of who we are and we're investing everything in who he is. We're, we're completely... Find in to what Jesus has done for us. He says, take up the cross. And that means to lift up, to carry it away. It's an interesting word. It also meant to sail away like you're weighing the anchor. Hey, if we'll just decide to follow Jesus, we can cut free from a lot of worldly anchors that want to hold us down. He said, do that and follow me. Walk in the same road or pathway with me, be in the same way with me, accompany me as a disciple is what Jesus is saying. Today for Christians, the cross is an accepted thing of love. I mean, we can look at the cross and we think, man, how wonderful. And we get all these nice feelings about it. And, and it's a beautiful image for Christians in the world in which we live. In that day and time, it wasn't. <laughs> In that day and time, it was a thing of terror. In that day and time, it was a thing of ugliness. In that day and time, it was even considered a curse for someone to die on a cross. The Roman Empire, who developed crucifixion as a form of execution, would not even speak about it in publicly because they didn't think it was polite. A Roman citizen was not allowed to be crucified. That that's the way they viewed Crucifixion. It was something that was, was terrible and reserved for their enemies. And Jesus invites us to take up the cross and follow him. Take up the cross does not, also does not mean to carry burdens or have problems. Warren Wiersbe, uh, some of you may have read some of his B-series books that he wrote uh, years ago, but Warren, uh, Warren Wiersbe told this story. He said, I once met a lady who told me that her asthma was her cross that she had to bear. 
That's not what's meant by this. I've heard people talk about this and this in their life. Well, I guess it's just my cross to bear. That's not what's being talked about. It's not about your cross. It's about his cross. It's about you fully identifying yourself with his cross. Paul put it like this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. More or less, Paul is saying this. He's saying, Paul doesn't exist anymore. I was crucified on the cross with Jesus. The Paul is gone. That old Paul is gone. The only one that's alive now is the one that is Jesus in his heart and Jesus in his life. Paul so identified himself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was though that he, he had ceased to exist. And he said, the life that I live now is only by faith in the Son of God who loved me. I think that's what self-denial is hitting at here. Self-denial is you and I losing our lives in his life. And that might mean it could happen literally to where you lose your life. Because as we've talked about some on and off over these last few weeks, there are many Christians in this day and time across the world who are losing their lives simply because they claim the name of Jesus. So it could cost you your life. But what I'm saying is it should cost you your life. And by that I mean this. You turn loose of your life, and your life is really his life. You quit identifying yourself in your life, and you identify yourself in his life. Quit identifying yourself in your own personal plans and purposes, and you find your identity in his plans and purposes for your life. Understand that he has a greater calling upon your life than you have for yourself. Self-denial is losing your life in his Jesus looked at them and said, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's by losing your life, your identity in Christ, that you really will find your life. Whether in life or death, as I said a moment ago, the Christian's attitude ought to be this. We turn from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. That ought to be the view of our lives. Self is no longer in control but instead following jesus and taking up the cross is a picture of you and i being submissive to the authority of christ in our lives allowing him to rule and reign our lives in other words you might even boil it down and say like this jesus ought to be number one amen in your life in my life he ought to be number one so following Jesus, if we're going to demonstrate the true hope that we have in Jesus, following Jesus requires self-denial. And that might not sound like it's very fun, but I want to tell you something. Following Jesus is worthwhile. It is completely worthwhile. Because Jesus goes on, he says, For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? More or less, you could paraphrase that in a way where Jesus is saying, if you've already lost your soul and you're in hell, what would you give to get out? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then recompense every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there's some of you standing here that will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. 
following Jesus is worthwhile? What will it profit? What benefit will it be? How will it be useful? What advantage? What profit is it? What usefulness is it if you were to gain the whole world? And he uses the Greek word cosmos, which really means the whole orderly system, all the financial systems and everything else the world has to offer. If you could gain all of that, if it all could be yours, but in the midst of it you lose your soul, what would it be worth? What value would it be ultimately to you if you were to lose your life or lose your soul? The Greek word uh, there can mean breath, spirit, life, mind, soul. It implies all of life's dreams, hopes, and goals. Sometimes it just talks about life, but based upon the context, it's also sometimes translated soul. We see it both ways in this passage of Scripture. It talks about forfeiting your life, losing your life, losing your soul. Gaining the whole world you see, it's not worthwhile. Not if you gain the whole world and lose eternal life. Not if you gain the whole world and lose your soul. If you make your life just about chasing after the dreams of this world and lose your soul, what is it worth it in the end? Gaining the whole world is not worth it if in the process you, you lose all your meaningful dreams, hopes, and goals in, in your life. It's not worthwhile. But... Following Jesus is worthwhile. You want to know why? Because of what Jesus said there. He said, I'm coming back and I am bringing my reward with me. Now, sometimes when we talk about the coming back of Jesus, there's this theme of judgment because he is coming back to judge. But in this particular instance, when he talks about recompense or reward, he's not talking about coming back with punishment. He's talking about coming back with a reward for those who have followed him, for those who've been his disciples. In other words, no matter what it might cost you in self-denial to follow after Jesus, it will be worthwhile because Jesus Christ himself, the God of all the universe, the one that spoke creation into existence, the one they nailed to a cross and took his life back up on the third day, that Jesus is coming back. And if you have trusted in him, he's bringing a reward to you. The size of it, though, is going to be dependent upon how we followed him, our self-denial, whether we've invested our life in him or we've invested our lives in ourselves. Titus, Paul was writing to Titus and he put it like this, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not like something to wait for, doesn't it? Sound like something to anticipate, something to long for, that Jesus is coming back. What we talked about today is simply this. There's, there's a basis for true hope. The basis of true hope is Jesus Christ himself. His death on the cross, yes, but also his resurrection from the grave. That's what gives us a basis for true hope. We've seen today that true hope can be hindered by us just thinking like human beings. That's kind of what Peter was doing. Yeah, he was kind of hindering the mission of Jesus by saying the things that he said. But you and I can hinder the mission of Jesus in our lives. If we only think in human terms instead of thinking about Jesus the way we should, the way God would have us to. There are a lot of people in this world that say, well, I believe Jesus was a man. I believe he was a good man. 
I believe he is a rabbi. I believe he was a good teacher, and that's as far as they go. If that's as far as you go, you don't have a Savior. Jesus was all those things, but he was all those things because he was God in the flesh, sinless, sent into this world to be the perfect human sacrifice for our sins, to settle once and for all our sin did. True hope can be demonstrated as we follow Jesus, no matter what the cost, because following Jesus would be worthwhile. Now, keep that in mind, because I'll come back to it in a moment, right, for the invitation. But some of you are probably sitting there thinking, well, you didn't say anything about verse 28. What do you mean about verse 28? And I hope you know this about me. I don't skip over anything. Because you need to understand things. So while this isn't essential to the main thought that we were looking at today, what in the world did Jesus mean when he looked at the disciples and he said, hey, some of you are standing here that's not going to die until you see me come in my kingdom. That flips a lot of people out. One reason is all those disciples that he was talking to have since what? Died. (laughs) So what did he mean? Well, a lot of different viewpoints. I just want to throw those out to you, and then we'll get back to the main thought, and then we'll have the invitation, and we'll be done. Some people believe that he was talking about his transformation that happens in the next chapter. Because he and three of the disciples were up on top of the Mount of Transfiguration, and they saw Jesus in all of his glory. Talking with Moses and Elijah. So some people believe that's what he was talking about, that that, that could have been a glimpse of his kingdom, and it could have been. Some people believe that it was just the disciples witnessing the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. And that very well could have been what Jesus meant. Some people believe he's talking about the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. That could be also what Jesus meant. Some people believe it was John on the Isle of Patmos because John on the Isle of Patmos was allowed to kind of come up hither and see what things are going to be and get a good picture of the kingdom. That's kind of where I lean. And maybe that's what he was saying. Some other theologians view it just to be that it's his kingdom that the disciples saw the church take off. And the gospel message change lives and grow. So there's different meanings to that. And probably no one knows for sure. You can ask Jesus one day, but I kind of like the idea of John on the Isle of Patmos thing. But what we do know that he is saying is this. He said, truly I say to you, and when Jesus says truly I say to you, you better perk your ears up. Because whatever he said is the truth. And right before that, he had said this, I'm coming again. He is coming again. So the question this morning for a time of invitation is, are you ready? Are you ready? Jesus made two offers of two different types of lifestyles to the disciples. And I know a small print, but... He, he more or less said this. He gave him two approaches of life. He said you can have God's perspective or merely have a human perspective. You can deny yourself or you can live for yourself. You can take up your cross. Or you can ignore the cross. You can follow Christ. Or you can follow the world. You can lose your life for his sake or you can save your life for your own sake. You can forsake the world. You can gain the world. You can keep your soul. You can lose your soul. You can share his reward and glory or you can lose his reward and glory. 
That's kind of the offer that's there. So my question is this, which one of those approaches, which one of those columns describes your life? Let's pray. Father, speak to us now. Help us to see ourselves, for you to pull back the blinders over our heart and for us to see ourselves as we should see ourselves. Father, if we need to we need to see ourselves as living our lives for ourselves, even as Christians. And Father, help us to, to understand that. Help us to see it. Help us to admit it. We need to make deeper commitments today as believers to, to follow you more closely, to have more self-denial in our lives, to invest our lives more in your life. And Father, call us to do that. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that does not have the basis of hope, they've never trusted in the death of Jesus, his sacrificial death, his mission that he came. They've never trusted in the fact that he took his life back up to prove that he paid everything for their sins. Father, give them the faith right now to say yes to Jesus. And Lord, for those of us that might be hindering the impact you want to make in our lives by by human thinking instead of thinking like you'd have us to. Forgive us for that and help us set our minds aright that we would concern ourselves with the things of God and not the things of man. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would stand, God speaks to your heart in some way. You need to come, kneel, pray. You need to come and ask me to pray with you, to talk with you. We invite you to come during this time. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.